All right, so uh, Martin Luther used to talk about great sins. And just a little backstory on him. Um, he would try to confess every known sin of every day and bring it to a guy named Dr. Staupitz. He was known for like trying to remember all his sins down to a single thought. And one time he spent six hours confessing every single sin of that day to Dr. Staupitz while Staupitz was begging God to make him a plumber. So for Luther, cleansing, confession was a form of like self-cleansing. Confession was a way that he tried to cleanse himself. So when Luther talks about great sins now as the great reformer, he's not talking about those nobody's perfect kind of sins. You know, the kind that, you know, I lied once, or I yelled at the dog. Uh, he's not talking about those you made me do it sins. You know, someone has a beautiful tweet and you just want to be edifying and tweet back. He's not talking about those perfectionistic sins, right? You know, you forgot to tithe last week. Uh, you didn't read your Bible before breakfast this morning. Luther's talking about the real kind. The kind of like not trusting God with your sexual desires. The kind of like, I want their house, I want their money, I want their spouse, I want their life. He's talking about things like, I desperately need to be liked. I need to be important. I need to be great. He's talking about stuff like, love them, I hate them. He's talking about stuff like, I wrecked my marriage. I've ruined my kids. When Luther talks about great sins, he's talking about the traumatic kind, like, what is wrong with me? He's talking about the addictive kind, like, I can't stop. I don't want to stop. He's talking about the despairing kind. I can't fix this. I can't cleanse this. William Gurnall, I've been reading him. I, a friend of mine gave me this book like, I looked at it and he wrote it, dismissed, you remember? He wrote and he had said to our pastor like, right at the beginning when we were planning this church and I haven't opened it till like this week. And I was reading at Gurnall, this great Puritan from the 1600s says this about great sins. Sins that stare you in the face as with the eyes of so many devils ready to drag you into the bottomless pit. So what do you do with your great sins? That's the question. What do you do with your and my great sins? Acts 2, 22, we saw the text actually up there, and we're going to look at the last, we're going to do 22 and 23 tonight, and then 24 we're going to do on Sunday. But it goes like this, if you want to turn on your electronic device, if you want to grab a Bible in front of you, 
The men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in, in your midst as you yourselves know. I mean, again, I told you that Ty and I have been reading through Matthew, and it's just absolutely amazing. He comes down and he's healed, you know, comes down from the Sermon on the Mount, and he heals a leper. Then he, he addresses a centurion warrior, and everywhere he turns, people are coming to him. And one time we read, like, I think it was yesterday morning about a man oppressed by spirits and he couldn't see and he couldn't talk and, and Jesus is healing people and he's restoring people and he's giving people back to their loved ones. And so when they say a man mighty attested to you by God, these are the kinds of things everyone that Peter's talking to already knows about. They've already experienced it. They've already heard about it. And he says, these mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So what do you do with your great sins? In verse 23, Peter gives you two amazing things you can do. Number one, he says this, you can stop trying to self-cleanse them. Just think about that for a moment. Think about the moment that Luther made that shift and he understood, I can't self-cleanse. Now, he was trying to self-cleanse by trying to confess everything. All known sin. And it was an endless pursuit that could never happen. But some of us try to self-cleanse by having the right God feeling. Other of us try to self-cleanse by being a good Christian. I mean, there's many ways and many strategies, but imagine what it would be like for you now to finally hear, you can stop trying to self-cleanse. You can stop self-cleansing. Amazing news. Imagine how much of your anxiety would go away. Imagine how much of your insecurity would go away. You could stop self-cleansing. Imagine how much of your exhaustion can go away. You can stop self-cleansing. Imagine, imagine how much controllingness of other people will go away. You can stop trying to self-cleanse them. Amazing news. This is why, I want you to look at, if you have the text, look at who ultimately kills Jesus. This is why Peter can say this. This is why he can say you can stop self-cleansing because if you look and see who ultimately kills Jesus, you'll stop. For instance, in verse 23, it's not, or verse 24, it's not the lawless men. Who are the lawless men? Well, they were the, the good leaders, the, the spiritual leaders, and the pilot Roman leaders. And he's saying those literally killed Jesus, and he's saying they ultimately don't kill Jesus. And then he goes to the original hearers. In verse 24, he says, you killed. But of course, some of them that were there and some of them weren't, so it meant that there was something going on in their life that actually led to Jesus being killed, which was their great sins. And then you and I can plug ourselves in here because all of us in this room have great sins, and we could say our great sins killed Jesus. But this text is saying you don't ultimately kill Jesus. The original killers didn't kill Jesus. The original hearers and sinners in the Bible didn't kill Jesus. And everyone throughout human history doesn't ultimately kill Jesus. Peter says, God does. 
God kills Jesus. And the question of all questions is why? And the answer is to cleanse you. You can stop trying to cleanse yourself because only God can cleanse you and God did when he killed Jesus. You're cleansed. Trust in the cleansing of the cross and when you do, you'll start laying aside all those strategies and all those endless, demanding, exhausting, anxious ways that you try to self-cleanse. That is a present power for you as a Christian right now. So what do you do with your great sins? Well, you can't stop trying to self-cleanse. That's number one. Number two, receive the long love of God for you. The long love. Not the short love. The long love. Look at why God kills Jesus. Look at verse 23. According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Now, you know what's happening here? I mean, these are those words that some people in our circles call the Presbyterian cuss words. And that's when everybody leaves the door. That's how you, that's how you, that's how you end a Thanksgiving meal. And that's how, I mean, seriously, if you want to get rid of your, forget the cultural, ideological, political conversations. Just bring this up for Christmas. Everybody says, you know what? Hey, it's getting late. Thanks, but we haven't eaten yet. We've got things to do. That's how it will end. Here it is. You look at the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Do you see what's happening there? For some reason, sometimes God lets you in on what's going on in his heart. Sometimes he wants you to know what's going on in the intra-Trinitarian dynamics and character of God as one in three persons. And so sometimes he gives you these words that are so mysterious and yet so powerful, and we really don't fully understand them, but we hear them like definite plan, foreknowledge, sovereignty, election, his own will, the counsel of his will, all of these things ordained. These are all words trying to describe the inner workings of the inner heart of who God is. Amazing stuff. Now, listen to why God kills Jesus. So here we got this inner life. You got the definite plan. So this is not an uncertain plan. This is not a potential plan. This is a definite plan. This is definite. God says, I'm doing this. It will be done. And then you see that word foreknowledge? Sometimes we trip over that word. It's not, it's not this. It's not like God looks ahead and he has prior information about the future. That word actually means not prior information, but prior love. So it goes like this. Whenever he saw you in your great sins, whenever that was, in the eternity of God, before the foundations of the world, we're told, Whenever he thought of you, whenever you came into your mind, his mind, whenever you and your great sins were in his mind, he says, I love her. And I will cleanse her. 
This is a long love. So when the cross actually happens, this long love that had been hidden in the heart of God for who knows how long, it finally breaks through the outer world and shows up as visible, as vivid, as solid, as concrete as the chair you're sitting on. When you get to the cross, you finally see, everybody wants to know, does God love me? How do I know he loves me? I don't feel like he loves me. And he says, look at the cross. What about my circumstances? Look at the cross. What about how people are treating me? Look at the cross. What about what's going on in the culture? Look at the cross, dear child. I have a long love for you. The moment I actually knew you, and I knew you to be a great sinner, I loved you. And I put a definite plan in place that I will never let you go, and I'm coming to get you. What's fascinating is that what Luther says about Dr. Staupitz, you know what he says? The man literally saved my life. Because actually, Dr. Staupitz wouldn't let Luther go. You know what the tale is? I mean, it, Luther wasn't a believer. But Staupitz knew he needed to get into the scriptures. So Staupitz resigned so that Luther could take his teaching post and have to study the scriptures. And what Luther does is he starts studying Galatians and Romans, and he starts learning about the long-haul love of God and the cleansing of the cross. And so began one of the greatest outpourings of God's spirit in the history of the world. 